Idlewild Arts respectfully acknowledges the Kawishba Kawiakna, also known as Kawia Band of Indians, and all nine sovereign bands of Kawia people who have stewarded this land throughout the generations and continue to steward this land for all future generations. Idlewild Arts Foundation is proud to present One World, One Idlewild, the series. In conversation with Pamela Jordan, the series brings together thought leaders, creatives, influencers, and change makers, highlighting the work of citizen artists whose careers and lives have been shaped by the transformative power of art. Have the courage to lead. The best thing that ever happened to me was the Northridge earthquake. Artists throughout the world, we are the speakers of truth. We are the most authentic expression of the day of the times. Be determined to get the most you can from every opportunity. And where you don't see opportunities, ask for them. Great leaders recognize that the work requires urgent patience. You can learn about classroom management. You can learn about the new curriculum. You can learn about the new way to teach whatever it is. But at the end of the day, if those students feel that love, they're more likely to listen, they're more likely to trust, they're more likely to be vulnerable. And in that space, that's where you can change some kid's life. From Idlewild Arts Foundation in Idlewild, California, I'm Pamela Jordan with One World, One Idlewild, the series. My guest today is John DeVersa, Chair of Studio Music and Jazz at the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. John is an internationally respected performer, composer, arranger, producer, band leader, educator, and recording artist. In 2019, he, he won three Grammys for American Dreamers, Voices of Hope, Music of Freedom, including Best Large Jazz Ensemble, Best Instrumental Arrangement, and Best Improvised Jazz Solo. Dr. Diversa's celebrated career has included appearances on The Today Show, Late Night with David Letterman, The Oprah Winfrey Show, as well as such musical gatherings as the Montreal Jazz Festival and the Playboy Jazz Festival. He has recorded with such notable and distinguished artists as Herbie Hancock, Fiona Apple, Sheryl Crow, and the Yellow Jackets. John DeVersa, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's my pleasure. And, and I also want to thank you for being a part of this year's Ida Wild Arts Jazz in the Pines 2021 Student Clinic. Jazz in the Pines it, we, it has been going for 27 years and the pandemic disrupted a little bit, but it's turning into a two-week festival where artists such as yourself will be able to work with our students. So I want to thank you so much for being here with us for this. Again, it's, it's, I'm grateful to be here and it's, it's, it's truly an honor to be here on this uh, in this sacred land and working with these students and working with the music that I love. So we're all really happy to return to campus after the pandemic drove us into shelter in place for nearly 16 months. And you're having an incredible career as a performer, teacher, composer, as I said previously. What drives you and how has that changed during the pandemic? Hmm. What drives me? I mean, it's, it's since I was, since I can remember so, you know, I remember being four years old, five years old, maybe even a couple years old. I, when I would wake up, I hear music in my head. 
You know, I remember being four or five years old and listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire and pounding the crud out of pillows with my drumsticks. <laughs> oh, but there's something damn fire! You know, it's, it was all-consuming. It just brought me to a state of bliss. And, and, you know, before I go to sleep, I hear music in my head. So that's the drive. And, and how that's uh, evolved as I've matured as a human being is I, I feel that music is such a powerful vehicle and to be really intentional about the music that we create. I feel like when we, when we disturb the silence with anything, there needs to be a reason for it, and it continues to just go around the earth wi and, and never stop. So, so whatever I do, I want it to be of benefit to everyone. So whatever the music is that I, that I create, I, I want it to be very intentional. That's something that's evolved. And then over this, you know, the <laughs> this year and a half, I think the way that I felt about it was that it felt like a huge fire, uh, this vortex that we were all in, you know, and and it's just humanity within in this in this fire, and no one is going to escape it, and everyone has just like everyone, every individual human being on this planet has unique challenges and gifts. And so everyone's going through this fire and they've got to burn off what no longer serves. Whatever your issues are, or even just the things that no longer serve your life, those things are going to burn off and you can acknowledge it and, and, uh, and surrender to that and work on it. <coughs> or you can go kicking and screaming, but you're going to go through it. Uh, so all of those things certainly apply to me and it's really made me reevaluate the music that I want to make and how important it is to me that I make music. And it really made me cherish my family and you know, really look at my values and exactly what I want to do with my life moving forward. It put all of those priorities in, in, uh, right in front of my face. And I'm so grateful for that because it's a, it's a path for us all toward evolution. You know, how did you feel, you know, we all kind of hunkered down and thought this is going to be a couple of weeks, maybe it'll be a month, and, you know, the time went on. And we haven't talked much about spirituality, um, but I know you slow walk. How did, how did meditation or spirituality, how did you stay centered, you know, th throughout, the, especially as it evolved and it was clear we were in it, we were in it for some time? Well, thankfully, that's, that's something that I've been, uh, I, I knew was very important to me for, for, for a long time now. So, you know, I've had a, a practice where I, you know, every, every morning I, I get up really early and, uh, and do some meditation and I do some, you know, either yoga or just, you know, do a workout to take care of my mind and my body. Because, you know, the responsibilities, as, as you get older, you know, you, you have more and more responsibilities, and I'm serving the community that I'm in. The, you know, my students, my family, my work, the, the music, and those are things that are uh, very important to me. So in order for me to serve the way that I know I'm called to do, I have to take care of myself first. So, you know, I, as I tell my students, you know, one thing that's important to me is that when I wake up in the morning, I do not look at a phone. I don't look at emails. I certainly don't look at the news or any external influence that 
I, I'm not ready to process yet. I need to actually find my own grounding for that day through my own practice. And then I have a tremendous amount of energy to handle those things during the day. And then same thing at night. I try and you know, do the bookend of that at night, just a little bit softer with, uh, you know, I may do a, uh, just a little Qigong practice at, at night and, uh, and then prepare myself for the next day. So as, as we moved into uh, this, uh, this last year and a half, I felt like it actually gave me a little bit more space to, uh, to be regular with that. Because keeping that schedule when I'm traveling all the time and, and keeping, uh, keeping a, a fairly intense schedule of, uh, of traveling and commitments, mm -hmm. you know, you have to really be creative about working all those things in. That's uh, beautiful, and I know w that we have students here, and it's, it's so important to hear about balance in your life, and mm -hmm. that's one thing that is very, very special about Idlewild Arts. We're, we're nestled here in the San Jacinto Mountains, you know, 6,000 feet, uh, you know, on this beautiful Cahuilla, as you say, sacred land, um, and, it's, and I think when the students, whether here for a summer, for a few weeks, or here for our uh, boarding program, I think that's something that they, as you speak to alums or speak to students as they're leaving, they talk about the sense of place and what that did for them. And to hear you talk about that, I hope they carry that and develop that into their practice as a human being. Here we say art is the greatest teacher of humanity. Yes, yes. And, and you know, when I, when I speak highly of, of this place, I really mean it. You know, I, I've, uh, I've come here in years past for Jazz in the Pines to perform at I've, I've done the summer camp now, this is the fourth year. We weren't able to come here in person last year, but I, it is such a privilege to come here and I do feel experientially that this is sacred land mm -hmm. here. And it's a place where it, it's really a retreat for me uh, to, to be in this energy and, and also with faculty so that are so open-minded and students that are so open-minded uh, where we can actually make some progress together. Right. So it's a very special place, and you know, I turned down other things to be here because this this is this is just an incredibly recharging, yes. uh, recalibrating vortex on the earth. I agree. That was not a commercial. That's how we really feel about Idlewild. Well, in in 2016, you received three Grammy nominations for Kaleidoscope Eyes, Music of the Beatles. And Terrence Blanchard said, after hearing Kaleidoscope Eyes, this is art. This is what music should be. No recreation, no mimicking, just honesty. Fearless honesty. His comment resonated with me because, of course, the music of the Beatles is so iconic. How did you decide which songs to include? And were there any that you felt were uh, off limits? T tell, just tell us about that project and how you selected those pieces. Well, you know, I, I was actually talking to, to the students about it the other night. It was, it was, part of it was, yes, I, you know, I love the music of the Beatles and, and a lot of those, it's just so, uh, the, the melodies are iconic and, and, and they're beautiful and, and the melodies can, can be adapted to work in so many different ways. You know, it's like a, a, you know, these beautifully crafted melodies, even without the words. And then you add the words and they're even more rich. So that's always attractive to me to find material that feels like it's so malleable. Uh, 
So that was in place. And also, at, at that time, I felt like my bands, and, and especially the big band, was gaining uh, a good amount of, of, uh, of, of recognition and, and a good reputation here on the West Coast. But I wasn't reaching further than that with my original music, whatever that was. And I looked at how other people were breaking in, you know, on, on YouTube and everybody's covering Stevie Wonder's songs and everyone's covering uh, Beyonce and, and, and their videos would get a million views. It's like, okay, so that's, you have to shut, you have to, sh you know, dangle the shiny object, get people to look, and then if it's good, then you can continue, then you've got that audience and you can keep going. So that was part of it too, it was a bit of a strategy as well. Um, the other component of it was that one of my, one of the uh, people that used to come see us play the baked potato uh, in L.A. We played there the last Sunday of every month in, in L.A. And he and his business partner had bought four uh, of the old Beatles tunes. Misery, and I saw her standing there, and I can't remember what else. And so he called me up and said, hey, we just, we just did this, and I would really love, I don't have a big band uh, recording of this that I have the license for, but even though I have the license for the, for the song. Would you record something? Would you arrange something? Do it your way? And he was a you know, big fan of the band. And, and I said, yeah, that'd be great. Let's do it. And, and then I started to think, okay. This is it. I know, I know that you know, we would be the one billionth and, and two <laughs> uh, artists to, to cover Beatles music, but I think I can do it a different way. You know, I think I can do it our way. And so there's a, there's a bit of a challenge, too, to it, you know, because how do you, how do you uh, approach these iconic songs in a fresh, innovative way? And so that kind of, that, that challenge felt good to me. So, so then and you asked, what was the process of, of choosing songs? And, and so one summer, uh, I was already in Miami, and I, started, I just started listening to the whole catalog and, and you know, of course, I, and, and I started trying to categorize everything. So, you know, okay, well, maybe we could just do these tunes from this record or this period, or I'll do all tunes that start with M, you know, or, you know, there are almost 300 songs to choose from. But I, I would listen, you know, in the middle of the night because my daughter was very young, and, and, you know, that's the time when I had when everybody was asleep. So uh, I would go deep into it, and I, I would listen to all the, the interviews with all the, the band members and read all the interviews and listen to the production, I could hear the, you know, what's panning on le left to right, and uh, I, I just went in as deep as I could in just researching and listening to the music. And, and then I let it go. And then I had all my notes and all my cognitive ways of organizing everything, that all went out the door because I just started to hear one song. I would hear, I would hear that song come back to me like a download through my own uh, experiences and preferences and personality and character and it would it was just something new and they all came to me in different ways you know my favorite story is and and by the way all of this was written on airplanes because <laughs> because that's the time when I had to write so I had the earphones on and I was you know writing directly into the digital software uh, you know all, all of these things and and so I remember sitting catty corner to this other gentleman 
uh, who was, you know, a row in front of me, but, but on, on the other side. And he was watching this, <laughs> this movie, I don't know what it was, but it was a, a lot of folks were getting killed. And, and, it, and it wasn't pretty. And there were kids on the airplane, young kids, and I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe a different movie would be, would be a good one to watch right now. Uh, and, and then I said to myself, you know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this guy a message, you know, telepathically. I'm going to say, you know, change, change, change the channel. And so I just kind of thought about that, meditated on that, opened my eyes, and he, and he did it. And I was like, whoa, I've got Jedi powers right now. <laughs> Let's see how far we can take this. And I said, okay, so now go to your iTunes library and choose a Beatles tune for me because I want to know what the next tune is. So, so all this stuff, is, it, it happened. I swear to you it happened. So he goes, so he clicks on to iTunes, and I'm like, whoa, what, what planet am I on? And he goes there, and he's got every album in his iTunes catalog on the plane. And he's like scrolling up and down, you know, Sergeant Peppers, blah, 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 blah. And, and finally, you know, after a while, he finally chooses one of the records. So he goes on, Here Comes the Sun. And that's the one I was already wanting to do anyway. I just wanted somebody to validate that. He, he, <laughs> he clicked on Here Comes the Sun, listened to it for about 20 seconds, clicked out of iTunes and then went back to watching his gory movie. <laughs> but I said, okay, you know, message delivered. I got it. So, I mean, so many of the tunes came to me in, in those wondrous ways. You know, it, what a wonderful story. Yeah. What a wonderful story about being present, right? Being mindful. Um, and I, I lo also love the way that story is linked to your surroundings, there were children around, right? And how you were aware of that. What a, what a wonderful story. You know, that makes me wanna, I wanna ask about, a little bit about growing up. I wanna ask about your family. Um, because many people are probably familiar with your father, Jay Diversa, um, who is described as one of the most recorded trumpet players in the history of the recording industry. That, that's amazing. Tell us about your earlier years and the role that music played in your life. I think you just had a very musical family. And did you, uh, did, did you always know you were just, you, you were gonna be a musician? Did you ever entertain, you know, being an astronaut or something? Architect, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so that's actually, and, and the, the record that I did last year was actually all about family mm -hmm. and, and a, a testament to growing up in a, in a musical family, because when the quarantine happened, we were already gonna, gonna, gonna make this record, but then, you know, in June of, of, uh, of last year, we all got together and said, you know, let's do this, and, and it's a bolero record. And so tell everybody the name of it, I was gonna, uh, Quarantina. Quarantina, you know, quarantine, with family at home, <laughs> because the elephant in the room about recording it at this time was we're all stuck with our family and having to deal with living together again and and you know and there are gifts and challenges with that and it, but it really gave me the opportunity to to just give a huge big hug to to these people that i just adore and love and it, and it had it gave me a chance to to really uh, reconnect with with my my parents and and their parents and so there are songs on the record that are written by my grandfathers both maternal and paternal 
and you know songs that my father has written uh you know dedications to my wife my daughter and you know all of these things it was really a, a special opportunity to make a record like that anyway uh yeah my my dad is a so both my parents are are incredible musicians and so that i'm so blessed to have that influence when i was growing up uh my dad started playing the trumpet when he was four and a half years old. The trumpet. Yeah, the bugle actually. I think the story goes that his uncle came over Halloween or a costume party or something like that. And he was dressed up as a, as a bugler, you know, in the army. <laughs> and he had a bugle and he couldn't get a sound out of it and they gave it to dad and he went, da, 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 you know, like he was able to, <laughs> to make a good sound out of it and that was it. And then, you know, he just started practicing. He loved it. It was... It was just a part of him, from, from, and it still is, uh, from that point on, and was a bit of a child prodigy. And, uh, you know, he, had a, he was on a, a TV show on KTLA in L.A. They had a variety show for a couple of years, and they would have Dinah Shore come on, and Stan Kenton, and Ray Bolger, and, and it was the Dixieland Small Fry. And there was all, uh, you know, kind of teenagers <laughs> in the band, and, and then... Uh, he went off, you know, he, he was in the Army for a couple of years, and then he started working, I think he toured with Johnny Mathis and maybe somebody else. He was on, on tour with Stan Kenton and made a, one of the most influential records for me was Stan Kenton. It's that uh, D. Barton wrote all the music. It's called Stan Kenton Conducts the Jazz Compositions of D. Barton, the longest <laughs> album title ever. But it was kind of like a free jazz. It was 1968, 1969. And he sounds unbelievable on this record, and Ray Reed plays uh, alto saxophone on it. And it really opened the way that I heard music hearing that record. You know, it's one of those records you see at home, you know, what is that thing? Put it on, it's like, oh, <laughs> that's some stuff. Uh, but then he went into the studios, and he started working in the LA studios, and he played on every, you know, he does what, uh, you know, Wayne Bergeron's here working, working the camp uh, this week, and. You know, Wayne's been doing it for the last uh, 20, 30 years, and, and Dad is the, the generation before, and he played every, every television show, every movie, every live show, you know, at the amphitheater, and, you know, all those game shows and variety. Like, he was on the Gong Show and named that tune, and, and Sonny and Cher, and Jim Neighbors' show, all the Carol Burnett. So... And that's chops. I mean, you're recording. That's not, you know... Yeah. And it was incredible, incredibly stressful, I believe, for him. You know, he's, he's talked about that before. And, and that's, you know, that's part of my story, too. Is I, as, as a kid, I saw how stressful that was. And, and there was a part of me that was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. You know, music, I love music, but I, I don't want to feel so prickly about it. Because studio musicians, they go in, they miss a note, that's it. Time is money, next player that's not going to crack the note. Uh, so he was doing so much work that, that I think that he wasn't, he, he's an incredibly uh, creative being and there wasn't, he wasn't able to have enough balance where he could have uh, the creative outlet along with you know, his professional career. So I, so I witnessed that and, and also all of his friends would come over for dinner and they'd talk about that session today and how somebody messed up and how they didn't get paid enough, and like it, it seemed like a very negative atmosphere to me. This is, you know, from a seven-year-old, and this is my own reality, so I don't know if that's actually what happened, but that's kind of what I remember. Uh, kind of seeing the business end of it as a seven-year-old, yeah. understanding, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then 
And again, from the seven-year-old perspective, my mom. So my mom is this incredibly talented uh, person. You know, one of those people that you would just hate, you know, because, you know, they, oh, is this a flute? Oh, cool, that's cool. You know, she, 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 she sang opera as well. Uh, and, and, you know, her main instrument is the, is the piano. Great classical piano player, can sight read anything. Um, she, she was an incredible flute player uh, and dancer and, you know, all of these things. Just, and, and what I learned from her, what I observed from her that was that music was fun. Music was to be shared. Music was a social thing. Music was something that brought people together, you know. And, and, and my, you know, my mom, if, if you met her, she's, she's one of those people, she would walk in and she's just glowing sunshine. And she genuinely wants to know everyone in the room and, and she makes friends with everybody and she'll, you'll, you'll have her phone number at the end of the night. And, and she'll keep in touch with you in a very genuine way. So, so I saw this one side on, on from my mom where, where music was, was just this joy, this love. My dad had that joy and love too, but I saw how the business kind of uh, took a lot of that out of him. And so that, and, and by the way, and you're asking about the rest of my family too, like their parents were musicians. My mom's family, they're all music teachers. So this was a fait accompli, everybody. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit. And, 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 you know, and my dad's, uh, my dad's dad uh, was a, you know, Sicilian. He played accordion and, and sang. And, you know, that's what we did after dinner. We, we played music together, you know, and, and his, my great-grandfather played accordion, you know, from Sicily and sang and drank, a, drank some wine and uh, played the accordion. Uh, so that, that all, all that influence was there. But then growing up, you know, you asked, uh, did I always know I was going to be a musician? So I did it because I loved it, you know, since I can remember. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Got some recognition doing it. Oh, that brought me some love, too, you know. It's like, okay, I'm good at this. People think I'm good at this, so, so that felt good, too, and I had to kind of wrestle with that later. Uh, and, and then it, I think in my, maybe my, my junior year in high school, I went, wait a minute, uh, so I'm going to have to make a living doing this. I see these two examples from my parents. I don't think I want to do that because that seemed like it, I don't know if I want to do that. And then my mom did it, but she didn't really make a living doing it. She just did it because it was fun, even though she played at a professional level. And I, I, I made a good decision and a bad decision in the same moment. I said, well, I'm going to play music because if I did anything else, I would be unhappy. I was smart enough to know that. I had this fire, this passion. If I did anything else, I would just be depressed. So I'm glad I pat myself on the back. You know, and, and even, you know, my parents were like, okay, because <laughs> uh, they knew the road too. Um, but the other part that makes, it kind of makes me laugh, but, you know, I decided I was going to be a starving musician. And, and why? Because I wanted to only do the music I wanted to do. I didn't want to go play the movie thing. I didn't want, I mean, I did, you know, I played, when the, when the phone called, I would go and do it, sure. But, uh, but it wasn't what was driving me. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Uh, and somehow that equated to me that I wasn't going to make money, and that was okay. You know, and so that's exactly what I did. I became a starving musician. You know, I didn't make much Living money. Dream. Yeah, yeah. And... 
you know, w- what happened with that, too, it's, it's, uh, it's something I love to share with my students. I actually went to UCLA uh, for college, and I studied classical composition because I didn't want to go to a jazz school because I already knew I, I was going to do that no matter what. I wanted to learn something I didn't know anything about, and I'm really glad about that decision, too. And I wrote for everybody's recital. I was writing all the time. Uh, you know, you need, you need me to write a piece for your recital? You got it. Uh, so you were enjoying school? I was enjoying school until I didn't. And c- because then, I, I think it was my fourth year of school, I was taking a GE, and I, I remember the feelings. <laughs> I, I had my backpack on my shoulder, and I was, I was walking into the, into the, I could not get my body into the building because I just didn't want to be there. There was this polar magnet that just wouldn't let me in, so I dropped out. Just like that. I just walked, I slow walked <laughs> down the hill, back down into Westwood. Uh, and at that point, you know, that's when I kind of said, okay, I'm a starving artist. And, and, but, but, but I started, that's where the discipline came in, though, too, because I did exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I got up at, I started writing at 6 o'clock, and I, I went from 6 to noon every day. And I had a list of all the things, in case I ever forgot what I wanted to write, like I'm going to write a fugue, I'm going to write this big band chart, I'm going to write this string quartet. You know, I was, this is what I do, 6 to noon, I had some lunch, and then I'd practice for three, four hours. You were living at home because you were broke. I was living in, in, my, in my own house, uh, and, and I was teaching, oh. you know, and I was, I was gigging at night. But I was making like 100 bucks, 50 bucks at night. You know, I was just scraping by. Um, it was happy times, but it's like, where's this going? Um, and to the point where I was doing so much teaching that at one point somebody gave me a call and said, hey, would you like to do... Would you like to be the musical director? Actually, the way that it happened, they said, would you like to do this big production show in Europe? I know the way that it happened was they called and said, do you know anybody that would like to do this big production uh, ice skating show in Europe? And I said, I'll think about that. You know, because I was, I was already at a big band in town, so people knew me as a, as a leader, a starving leader, but a leader. Uh, and I called them back the next day, and I said, you know what? I'll do it myself if you'll make me the musical director. And, and I think I gave him, you know, a, a, a money, a, 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 a quote, what I would do it for. And he called my bluff and he said, you got it. <laughs> I said, okay, so I'm going to Europe. So I had to pack everything up, put it in storage. And, uh, and I went to Europe uh, I, and did this show. It was supposed to be for nine months. So I ended up staying for three years. And it was the best of times and the worst of times because I had been this creative fireball since I don't know what age. I went and started playing that show and I'm playing the same show every night and that flame went out in two weeks. And it was, it was scary. My whole identity was out. And I, it was still, as long ago where there still, was, still were CD stores and I would go and buy all these CDs and try to get the inspiration. I was trying to write, trying to practice, but it's just all mechanical. There was no inspiration. And I was making more money than I'd ever made before. So that messed with my head. So I can play music that, that doesn't have any inspiration to me, and I'll make a lot of money. Or I can make, play music that has sort of a lot of inspiration to me, but I don't make any money. 
you know, things got, got really, uh, really hardwired that way at that point. And at the same time, you know, in two weeks in, a couple things happened. One is I realized how much I love teaching. One of the reasons why I, I When left, you were in Europe, you, you realized... Yeah, I, I realized, okay, I, I love working with, with, with people, on, with, about working on their music and, and seeing their voices come to fruition. And, uh, so I said, okay, when I come back, I'm going to go back to school because I want to do this at the highest level. I have to get these degrees to do this at the college level, at the university level. And so when I came back, it was full force. <laughs> you know, it was, I went back, finished my, my degree at UCLA and took my math class at 8 o'clock in the morning and the art history of China and my geo geology class, and I was at those professors' office hours every time. They're like, here comes this guy again. Uh, and I was so curious. I was like, why, why does this professor why wear this bow tie like that? That's just... It's hilarious to me, and I want to know why. Like, and he's so passionate about those rocks in that geology class. I want to know why, because I wanted to get my passion back. You know, I was going at it like that. You know, and also, the two weeks into uh, being in Europe, you know, I met my wife, too. So it was, it was the best of times. And, and we would, when we were on tour, we'd stay in the large cities for, for a month or longer. And you know, the, even the small little cities in Europe, we'd stay there for a week. So I'd rent a an apartment in town, and I felt like I was in this, you know, like kind of half lived there, and I'd go to the same cafe in the morning and get to know the people, and I had a great time, but the music was just done. So, after I had finished that three-year tour, and I made some money, and, but my head was all messed up, <laughs> I came back, and, and I went back to school. I, I finished the, the degree at UCLA, but then I went to CalArts, and that's where things started to shift for me. Because I knew I had, to go, I had to go and surround myself with really creative people. People that were, you know, thinking outside the box and innovating and, you know, anything goes. Mm -hmm. and, and that really helped. And then, and then a funny thing happened to me because I, during that period, it, it was, wasn't like a click thing, but it, during that period, I started to understand the value of music but also the value that I have to offer the world through my passion, through my gift. And that value, you can attach a monetary number to it. You know, I'm, it, it's worth something. And so that tweak in my head was it. And once that settled in my head, I started getting work in a much more effortless way. And it was work that I was engaged in and it was work that I was passionate about. And it's, it's just a miracle to me how that, that all just psychologically, spiritually, mentally had, had to turn 180, and the, and the wiring went back mm -hmm. to the way that it is. So, you know, now I, I understand, and it's something that's still in progress, you know, I st but I understand the value that I bring to the world with, with what I have to offer. It's so important, and I want to thank you for sharing that story. I, um, I've been in education over 30 years and, and, and working with high school students, and so often, especially uh, as artists, they, they're really wrestling with, do I go to college? Do I stay in college? You know, I, I, I can do better if I go out on my own, and I think just sharing that, um, that process and that it wasn't just a through line, like you knew this, you knew this, you knew this, 
if you weren't in Europe, you may not have uh, been in that silence enough, you know, and been in that, that space to, to hear that passion and to know not to take it for granted and how to feed it. That's a beautiful story. Uh, let's take a break. If you're just joining us, my guest today is world-renowned performer, educator, and recording artist, John Diversa. We'll be right back. Idlewild Arts Academy is an independent boarding arts high school whose mission is to change lives through the transformative power of art. Located just two hours inland from Los Angeles and San Diego and one hour from Palm Springs, the school sits on 205 acres of forested land in the San Jacinto Mountains. Academy students receive a challenging college preparatory academic curriculum while engaging in pre-professional training in their chosen arts discipline. The school is also home to its world-renowned summer program that serves children starting at age 5 through adults age 95. Idlewild Arts believes that art is the greatest teacher of humanity and that the practice of creativity, no matter the ultimate expression, hones each individual's desire and ability to craft global change. To learn more, visit idlewildarts.org. Use code OneWorld2023 to receive a $50 discount to the 2023 Kids and Teens Summer Program. Quantities are limited and restrictions may apply. Welcome back. My guest today is three-time Grammy winner, John Diversa. I want to ask you, we were talking a little bit about the album that you made, Quarantena, Quarantine. So, <laughs> I, and, and you were talking about that, and I think you released that in 2020. Yeah. But in 2021, also during the pandemic, you released All Without Words, Variations Inspired by Lauren. Um, it's a beautiful album. I've been listening to it. It's beautiful. Um, t tell us about the al album. Who is Lauren? And it was actually quite encompassing, just choir and visual arts. Tell us, tell us about that effort. Yeah, so the, the, the piece is a, it's, a, it's an orchestral jazz concerto of sorts. Um, so it's got a full string section, woodwinds, uh, percussion and, and a choir and and trumpet and my dear friend whose name is Justin Morell who we've known each other since we were zero <laughs> because his father is a great uh, guitar player and played in the LA studios and so John Morell and Jay Diverso were good friends and so when Justin and I came around our families were were already together so Justin and I grew up playing music together and so Justin is a brilliant composer and he comes from the jazz world but he has, he speaks orchestral and all of that as well. His son is uh, 16 years old and he's nonverbal uh, on the spectrum. And so I was with, with Justin, he lives up in Pennsylvania now. And he picked me up from the airport. And we were talking about, you know, some of his projects. And I said, you know, you got you got to write, you, you know, you got to write this experience. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 love and the and, and the pain and the the frustration and the joy and you know everything in between. 
uh, should be expressed in music. And so we talked about creating a project together that would be uh, an orchestral jazz concerto, trumpet concerto. And so we kind of joked about it to begin with, or I was, and then he started sending me sketches. <laughs> and I said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. So all of this was within this year? He started writing it probably two years ago. And, uh, and then I knew, okay, I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this, this happen. This was pre-pandemic. I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. Uh, and so what, but what Justin did, his process, and this is the first record you know, I've ever put out that's not my own writing. There's probably one person I would trust to do that with, and that's Justin. You know, never a question in my mind about what the music would be like. Uh, so one day or one evening, you know, sometimes Lauren will kind of hum and, and make sounds, and, uh, and so he recorded this on, on the iPad, and this became a, th a theme, and he derived some melodies from, from what Lauren was singing. And so the, the whole album is a theme and variations. It's the theme and then 11 variations. And, you know, all the titles suggest all of those uh, all of those trials that you go through when you find out that, uh, that you have, uh, you know, a child with autism. In every case, you know, Justin makes the point very clearly that every case is so unique. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there, there's no group. There's no, it, it, every, everybody's uh, experience is completely different. And I really love the idea that we can raise awareness and compassion to the fact that every human being on this planet has their own challenges and gifts that they're going through, and for us to remind ourselves never to judge what those challenges and gifts are. Just be aware and be compassionate to the human narrative. Uh, so he wrote this brilliant piece, and he sent it over, and I said, oh my God. <laughs> uh, and so then I, I put it together somehow. You know, we recorded it in, in Miami in January. And <coughs> I was able to book the big uh, concert hall. And we took a string section that was, you know, about a third of what it should be. And we just overdubbed, you know, them taking several passes of it. And we did the same thing with the woodwinds. And then we did the same thing with the choir. And I played my trumpet parts and, and we got it done. And, uh, and, and even my role as playing the trumpet, I feel, I felt such a, there's such a responsibility there, right? It had nothing to do with me. It couldn't. And so I just had to let this, allow this surrender to this, these sounds coming through me. I had to just uh, be a vessel. And so some of the things I played on that record, like I, I don't play, I don't usually, I don't know where that came from. And I was really connecting <coughs> with Lauren somehow uh, on a few of those things. And it, it really was a kind of a download playing through these, these pieces. And I'm so happy for Justin. You know, everybody should know his musicianship and, and his writing. And I think this is helping with that. Um, and, and I hope that 
it achieves at least part of what I'm, what I'm thinking about, about uh, raising awareness and compassion. Uh, I believe when I was um, doing some research with it, you all also brought in visual, visual artists who had autism. Yeah, thank you. Beautiful, beautiful drawings and. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, you know, why, you know, let's, let's try and, uh, so we reached out to an organization called Art of Autism uh, down in LA. And, and they have so many visual artists, different media, you know, uh, painting on an iPad or actually on canvas or tapestries. Uh, and, you know, we want to celebrate their art. So what we did is we, we sent them the music, the visual artists, and they created their art listening to the music. And they're actually, we haven't released them yet, but there are videos that have been made and are still being made uh, for all 12 tracks of the artists actually creating to the music. Beautiful. Yeah, and, and I, I hope that it, it celebrates their artistry as well. So there's a, there's a website that's uh, allwithoutwords.org where you can see many of the artists and see their work uh, right there. You are, you talked earlier about, you know, your passion, that that really has to be central to what you're doing. And I came across, well, you won the three Grammys for American Dreamers, Voices of Hope, Music of Freedom. And uh, for those who don't know, this album featured DACA artists, and you traveled around the country to include them. Tell us, to, I, I want to ask you some pointed questions, but mm -hmm. there's such interesting projects, right? Um, you know, you traveled the country, they were from so many different, you traveled the United States and they were from so many different countries. And I want to know what drove you to that um, and what your experience was connecting with those artists. Uh, and, and, and maybe also how you feel that, the album made a difference. I mean, you know, it won Grammys and it really elevated the, the, the topic. So, see, I want to know everything. <laughs> there were 53 dreamers that were involved on that project. Wow. And I traveled to 17 states uh, and they were from 17 birth countries. How did you identify them? I would, so we, we tracked the main part of the record in Miami and we had about 12, maybe a few more dreamers join us there. And then I already had engagements booked that where I was traveling to you know, New York, Texas, Oklahoma, California, everywhere uh, to perform or do, do whatever I was doing. And so I would contact the uh, DACA organizations from, from those states, those cities, and say, hey, we're, we're making this record and we were, we were looking for musicians, you know, that could contribute on the record, but, uh, and some, you know, many of the, of the, of the, the artists that contributed were, were very accomplished musicians, and some, they just sang in the choir, and so I, I had to write in, you know, in, into the music, some choir places where anybody could join in and just be part of it, or play percussion, uh, and just be part of it, be part of the, of the movement, right? Um, and, and even with, with, this, with this narrative, I never, you know, I am, I am, I am not a political person, you know, I'm, uh, 
But it's one of those things where you read in the paper and you just see the human story and, and you just say, okay, these, these are, this is my own view. You know, these are human beings that were brought here to the States when they were one year old. <laughs> they were eight years old. And for whatever reasons, for medical treatment, their parents passed away. Uh, you know, the, maybe someone that brought them over, their grandfather, they actually went back and, and left them. And, and basically these people, they went to school here they, they work here. This is the only home that they know. To deport them to, you know, this other place would be taking them to a place they've never known. And so they have, and, and, and they have no path for citizenship. And they, they want to contribute to this country that they live in. And they don't have a path to do so. So I looked at that and I kind of went, I don't know about that. Uh, and so with the record, all I wanted to do was say, did you know about this? Take a look and make up your own mind. I mean, yes, I'm biased, I have an opinion, but I, I don't mean to, 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 to force that on anyone. I'm just saying, here's this human story. And, and, and I would travel to many of these places, and once I would connect with the, the dreamers, then I'd have to find a place to record, right? Yeah. So when I would find a place to record, I'd have to say, you know, so this is what we're doing. And they would say, what's the DACA Act? What is this? And I was like, wow, okay, so this is great. You know, so, so now you know about it, to be aware of it, and you can make up your own mind, do your own research, and see what you feel about it. And, and I felt really great about that. And, and then, of course, I got to meet these incredible, courageous mm -hmm. uh, young human beings. Uh, and get to know their story. And now, you know, that was, you know, what was it, 2018 or something like that? 19, I think, yeah. So we recorded the year. Won the Grammy in 19. Right. <laughs> um, so I've known them for a few years now, and, and I've been following their lives, and we stay in contact, and, you know, this person got married, and this person is, is uh, you know, got a whole rap career happening, and, you know, uh, some amazing people, amazing, amazing people. And I'm so proud to be even associated with, with all of them. Do you, I mean, the Grammys, I mean, they really were a big deal and really did elevate, obviously, um, the, the, the cause, the topic. Um, what do you think the impact of the album is, though, beyond that? Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think about that a lot. I, th I think it, uh, it certainly, for me, just on a personal, in a personal way, for everyone that contributed to that record, it was at least somebody saying, I see you, mm -hmm. I love you, and you belong. Because everybody, all the other messages are saying something otherwise. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not sure how much more awareness it, it raised, uh, but it had to have done something. Mm -hmm and continue to do something, mm -hmm. and continue to speak to the, hu the human condition. You know, you have a, an incredible career. Uh, I, I like to say you're in the middle of it. I hope it's a long stretch in front of you. Um, but you teach, and in our case, you come and teach high school students. Yeah. What, why, why? What do you love about teaching? What, what draws you into it? I, I love music. I love music, and I love people, and I love connecting. Uh, through that expression. Um, 
It's hard to... That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, and then, you know, it makes me listen a little bit differently. And, uh, and, then, and then I hope that, you know, I, I do feel a call to, I know for whatever reason, uh, I can be of some inspiration uh, to, to musicians. It's always kind of been there. And so I feel a call to, uh, to be of service. You know, it, it, it makes me feel uh, purposeful to be in service. Um, but, and I say in service, and it's hard for me to even say because I, you know, I just enjoy it so much. I love, you know, when someone comes in with a, with a composition and it's like, it's, it's, it's awesome. And then have you ever thought about like, just like doing that to it and, 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 and to feel that, uh, that vortex open up, mm-hmm. uh, opens up for them, it opens up for me, and so we're in it together. So it's a real collaboration and, and connected feeling. It's like being in the zone, you know, when we're, when we're all connecting in that way, when the light bulbs go off. John DeVersa, thank you so much for being my guest and for speaking with me today. It has been an honor. Mutual, thank you. I spoke with John DeVersa on July 15, 2021, in front of a live audience during the Jazz in the Pines 2021 Student Clinic on the campus of Idlewild Arts Academy in Idlewild, California. You've been listening to One World, One Idlewild, the series, presented by Idlewild Arts Foundation. We at Idlewild Arts have always believed that art is the greatest teacher of humanity. We continue to believe that the practice of creativity hones a person's desire and ability to affect global change. My name is Pamela Jordan. To learn more about the Academy and its world-renowned summer program, please visit idlewildarts.org. To subscribe to the One World, One Idlewild podcast, please visit idlewildarts.org slash the series. Please consider supporting the students of Idlewild Arts by visiting idlewildarts.org giving to make a gift today. Thank you for listening to One World, One Idlewild, the series, a creation and production of Idlewild Arts Foundation. Executive producer, Pamela Jordan, directed and produced by Rose Colella. Edited, engineered, and mastered by Justin Holmes. Graphic design by Mark Biley. Marketing and publicity by Dana Albright, Molly Maple, and Alice Metcalf. Marketing assistance by Rose Colella. Production and research assistance by Keith Miller. Creative consultation by Palencia Turner. Technical support, John Lawrence, Michael Quick, and Tom Wadbrook. Our theme song is Beaconing, composed and performed by the incomparable Marshall Hawkins. Pamela Jordan was appointed president of Idlewild Arts Foundation in 2014. Prior to this position, she held the distinction of being the first female and first African-American head of school of the Chicago Academy for the Arts, a position she held for 12 years. She currently serves on the boards of the California Association of Independent Schools, the Association of Boarding Schools, and Art Schools Network.
Pamela is also a member of the Global Education Advisory Council for Shanghai Hauer Collegiate School, Kushan. One World, One Idlewild, the series is a production of Idlewild Arts Foundation. Any use of materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication without the prior written consent of Idlewild Arts Foundation is strictly prohibited. 